Our look at the seven letters to the seven churches of Revelation continues today on The Balanced Word. And Pastor Dave Rolf points out our responsibility to love even the unlovely. Do we really love everyone that we see? Are we trying to be known as loving people and quit being the critics of a world that, of course, is doing what the world does? You don't get shocked that people go to the Temple of Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and they were doing gross stuff. It's kind of all they have. But what we do is, can we love those people? That's our task. And it's a tough one. It's hard to love people who aren't that lovely. But people who aren't that lovely need love even more. Wake up my soul. Wake up early in the day. Wake up my hand. And the instrument I play. Wake up my voice. Let the world hear me say. You are worshipped and it's all to hear today. Thanks for being with us today for The Balanced Word. Pastor Dave Rolf's series on the letters to the seven churches in Revelation continues today. And we'll be looking at the Lord's postcard to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. While they were commended for some things, they had walked away from their first love. It happened to the Ephesians, and it's still happening to Christians today. If things have gotten off track in your relationship with Jesus, today's message will show you how to get back to where you need to be. Here's Pastor Dave in Revelation chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, who had been their first pastor, had talked about it as he wrote to the church in Corinth. And Corinth was an interesting church, and we'll visit that too. But as he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 13, after he's saying, man, you guys are so gifted. But he goes, I want you to understand this. You can have every gift that there is, and you can be somebody who is willing to sacrifice your own body. And you can give everything to the poor. You can be so good. But if you don't have love, it doesn't mean squat. It's a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. This is the central core of what it means to follow Jesus, is to be loving. So Jesus isn't saying, you know, you guys probably work on the love thing, but boy, I'm really... No, he's saying... You're doing so much good, and it's being wasted. And he says, ultimately, if this doesn't change, I'm taking you out. You won't be there anymore. You won't be able to be doing all your good works. You won't be able to be doing, oh, your theology is so good. Oh, you're doing all your apologetics, and you're shouting down the road. He goes, no, without love, nothing will happen. And see, when orthodoxy is good... You know, in theology, they talk about orthodoxy as basically believing the right things. And then they talk about orthopraxy, which means doing the right things. But orthodoxy and orthopraxy can be as great as it can be. Without love, it doesn't mean anything. So he says, this is something you better get a handle on. And I believe that this is something that to this day is still a primary concern of Jesus. It's why he didn't just send it in a note to Ephesus, but he had it put into the last book in the Bible so that everyone who before you're like, oh, I want to read about the Antichrist. He goes, remember this. Without love, none of it matters, and you'll be taken out. So what do you do when you realize, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not as loving as I'm supposed to be. The love, of course, is what gives our message power. 
No one ever listens to your arguments and says, I can tell you hate me, but you have a good point. (laughs) People are interested in people who they know really care about them legitimately. So for each one of us, we have to ask ourselves, is that coming through? Is that coming across? If it isn't, as is often a battle that many of us face, certainly we're no different. I mean, these Ephesians, they were good people, but they had this problem. So what do you do? He says, first of all, it starts with remembering. Remember from where you came. Now, he isn't just saying what you need to do is go back and be the way you were before. When he says do the first works, he is saying do the most important stuff. But to remember is where it all starts. When we keep moving, and a lot of times when we're busy in life, and our culture knows what it's like to be busy, it's easy for us to lose perspective on the past. And partly we don't even want to think about the past because it brings back sad memories. It brings back things we went through. brings back things that we were never able to forgive. I know many of you know that my little brother took his own life. And he did, I, I heard about it. The coroner called me in the middle of first service. So I thought, I, I can't, I'm not going to tell anybody about it second and third service because like then nobody's going to be in the mood for hot dogs and stuff but it was like so you suck it up but in the last week thinking about him memories oh my gosh just and it's not some of it's painful but a lot of it's so important to get a perspective when we shut ourselves off to memories we shut ourselves off to life and to caring and to healing because the truth is You go back in your memories, there are some people who did some really jerky stuff to you. But there are also people who were really good, who really cared about you. And one of those completely overcomes a bunch of other bad things. Most people who have come into our lives, if we could only remember, the way we deal with pain is we block out memories. So Jesus is saying, don't cut yourself off from your past. Have your memories. Think about it, live it, endure it, go through it. That process is so important because you can never be loving if you're at the same time avoiding the past, avoiding whatever has been here before. And so he says to remember, repent, metanoia. Again, that's the word metanoia means Uh, repent doesn't mean say you're sorry and don't do it again. It means think differently. Find a fresh perspective. I think we have a tendency to get locked into patterns where we're comfortable. And if you really want to be comfortable, forget everything that ever happened before. And at the same time, don't change. If Like in the last five years, if your mind hasn't been changed about some significant things, you just wasted five years of your life because growth happens when we change. And again, it's a different mind. It's a new idea. It's looking at things differently. It's an essential part of love as well because I can love people a lot more when I can put myself into their place and understand why they think what they think why they do what they do. It's painful, 
But that's what helps us to grow. And so often, people who get so locked in on truth, they, they mean the truth that they have always had, and they're going to continue to have it. Man, the truth is, life is complicated. And God's ways are as high above ours as the heavens are higher than the earth. If you sit and think that, well, I pretty much know God's truth, and I stand on his truth, repent. Take another approach. Listen to people who disagree with you and understand why they do. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid that, oh, no, somebody's going to convince me of something wrong. Repentance is to be a way of life for us because it's only in repentance that we can continue to love the people who need what we have to offer the most. The more you get set in your ways, the more you will find that you lose the ability to build bridges to other people because you've never even metanoid enough to put yourself in their place and understand why they think what they think. So he's saying, I left you here so that you could learn a new perspective. And he's not saying, go back to what you used to think. He's saying, no, you continue this process of repentance and then finally do the first works. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean do the kind of stuff you did back in the day. And you hear people say that, you know, man, when you were a new Christian, you prayed, you were in fellowship, you were worshiping God, you were reading his word. All of those things are really good and they're really important. But that's not what he's talking about. They obviously, they were still doing all of that. They had great teaching. They knew the stuff. But what he's saying is, again, it's the same word, protos, Start doing the most important things. Life is short, you guys. And if we waste our time on things that don't matter, then we miss the opportunity to be able to represent to people who don't know Jesus what the truth is. Now, it's not like you're a slave to it all the time, but at the same time, we need to be reminding ourselves that at least there is something in my life that, you know, is stretching me and that's allowing me to build bridges and connect with other people, do what's most important. What is that for you? I don't know. I'm, last night, Ann and I were, well, she got over it after a while, but I'm watching the College World Series. I'm switching over to the Dodger game. I'm switching over to the Angel game. At the end of the night, LSU won in extra innings. Yay. Um, I was cheering for them because they were the underdogs. The Angels won 25 to 1. Yay. <laughs> the Dodgers won on what was arguably a bad call, a bad ball call, but they won 8-7. Yay. And then I go, well, that was a nice evening, but sometimes you just need a veg evening just because just that's what's important for you at that point. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But am I ever even asking myself, am I doing what matters most? Am I making sure and making room for the most important things? The only way you can do that is by serious reflection, is by really asking yourself, is by remembering in the past, what did I do in the past that to this day I still feel like, wow, that was worthwhile? You know, the night before we were over at 
my son and daughter-in-law's house, and we got together, and we're watching a game, and my son cooked these amazing steaks, and there, it was just, it was a perfect night. And I go, that was a really good night. That night was way better than last night. But at the same time, who knows? Maybe what I need is last night to get me psyched about coming to church and opening the word of God. I don't know. But the question is, am I living on autopilot? Or do I remember? Do I allow myself to go back into the past and unravel some of these processes and some of these difficulties? Am I thinking in a fresh and a new way? And can I look at what I'm doing and say, that stuff's important. Well, that's what Jesus says to the Ephesians. Those are the kinds of things that you need to do in order to make you understand that love is what matters most. When you don't do that, then love just, you don't have room for it. You can't, I know people who say that they love the world, but they don't even have any friends. They don't even contact people. They stay away from others. They only hang around people who believe the same things that they believe. Jesus would look at that and go, uh, your love is really lacking. You're not really learning love until you're interacting with someone with whom you disagree. This remembering is something that, for those of you who have been married for a long time, I mean, the first six or seven years of marriage is usually it's not that bad. You know, you, you, start, you start hating each other, but then you have kids, and so there's just no time for it anymore. But if you hang in there, marriage, I'm convinced, continues to get better because you share a common set of memories. You share a common past. So many of the things that you used to think that you know, mattered don't. So many of the things that you took for granted, now they really matter. That's the way life is. That's the same thing with the best friendships that you have. You're friends with people with whom you have a common history. Well, what Jesus is saying to the Ephesian Christians is, you need to live that way. Because, and it, would, it should freak you out. He's saying this to this amazing church that, he, that, that John loves and knows. And Jesus is telling John this to write it down. And it's like, you know what? You may not exist anymore if you don't figure this out. Then the other piece of bread on the sandwich was, by the way, you do hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and I hate them too. So good for you. The Nicolaitans, it's not always clear. They're mentioned one other time in this chapter um, with the church at Pergamos. But the Nicolaitans, there were there are people who, a lot of theologians, broke the word down. Nike means to win. It's why Nike is called Nike. And laity is from laos, people. And it's like, oh, you get power over people. And so they identify this as the Catholic Church. Almost certainly wasn't what he had in mind. Early church fathers mentioned that, that what, what this is talking about, the Nicolaitans, were people who followed after Nicholas of Antioch. Nicholas is a fascinating character he was one of the original seven deacons. Remember when they picked seven guys who were so full of the Holy Spirit and such servants and great guys and everybody loved them. They had seven deacons. Well, one of them was Stephen who then got immediately stoned for his trouble. But Nicholas of Antioch was another one. And church history tells us that 
he ended up kind of getting off track. And he was just going light on morals. He's like, you can cheat, you know, you can commit adultery, not that big of a deal. So naturally, people were like, oh, cool, that's great. You know, so he, you know, I don't know what his church was like, but he probably had a great worship band, you know, but uh, just kidding. But he ended up being pre-Gnostic, where it's like, you know what, what's physical doesn't really matter. You need this new age, eerie kind of sense, and that's all it is. And so he was leading people astray in the first century church. And again, this is like Nicholas may have been dead by this time because he was made a deacon back in the 30s, and now it's in the 90s. So, But his followers went this route. And he goes, you ought to hate their deeds. But notice he doesn't say, I'm glad you hate those Nicolaitans. I hate them too. Because remember, the message is, it's love. That's the most important thing. You can hate what somebody does. Why do you hate what somebody does? The reason we should hate what people do that's wrong is because we love them and we understand what they're doing to themselves. And so he goes, hate what they do. That's good. So here's this. And then Jesus goes on and says, if you have an ear to hear, listen to what the Spirit's saying to the churches, to him who overcomes... I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So he's like, someday in heaven, you're going to be really glad you got this. And there are going to be other people who are there because you got this message. The church of Ephesus continued to repent because we have you know, recognition even like in the second century of what a loving church they were, and they were orthodox, but they were also loving. And so um, I think they got the message. The question is, do we? Do we? First of all, are we looking at the world out there and preaching against the world out there? Imagine if you're in Ephesus, you would expect that they would for sure go after the temple of Diana. You would think they would for sure go toward these these immoral activities that happened in their theater. But you know what? Not a word about that. And when Paul lived there for three years, he he was talking to believers about how to be believers. And for him, it was about how to love the people around you. It's not easy to love people who are messed up. But that's our job. That's how the church spreads. As soon as the church starts thinking that they're good because they're, you know, blasting the world out there, they miss their whole reason to exist. At the same time, it's interesting that as soon as a church starts focusing on what's wrong out there, when they're harping against government and they're harping against everything else that's going on out in the world, we lose our capacity to be honest about the church. We look at people who are, well, they have the right beliefs. And so we look the other way when they're con men, when, they're, when they are people who are taking advantage of people and using them and hurting them, but hey, at least they believe the stuff we believe. That's so backwards. We need to make sure that we will speak out against what's wrong among God's people. And it's not our job to go and speak out about what's wrong out in the world. If we do that, 
we destroy it. It's why Jesus never did that either, why Paul never did that. It's like, no, you know what? We need to win them to understand that God loves them. The other stuff's just details. And so this message of your church is in danger of being eliminated because somehow you're losing your capacity to love the people to whom you're called to love. Oh, you're good about the doctrine. I'm not, doctrine's not bad. I love theology. But theology without love, which is, by the way, most theology ends up deteriorating into a total lack of love. Theologians aren't known for their love for others. They may even say they love people, but actually they're disgusted by people who don't believe what they believe. That's not the church as Jesus laid it out. And he can't, you know, it's like Jesus hasn't said anything to the church in 50, 60 years. And his first thing he tells them is this. What does that tell us about him and how he sees us? Are we to be that loving? Is our future survival as church in danger if we don't get this figured out? I mean, I've honestly, I've dealt with plenty of really mean, cruel people. Most of them weren't non-Christians. Most of them were Christians. It's like we, we implode if we allow that to be the case. And so that's his message to these people. And because he put it in the scriptures, that's his message to us. Get what's right first. Do we really love everyone that we see? Are we trying to be known as loving people? And quit being the critics of a world that, of course, is doing what the world does. You don't get shocked that people go to the Temple of Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and they were doing gross stuff. It's kind of all they have. But what we do is, can we love those people? That's our task. And it's a tough one. It's hard to love people who aren't that lovely. But people who aren't that lovely need love even more. And that's our commission as a people. And this is a lesson that we certainly could work on and that we need to learn much more. Thanks for joining us today for The Balanced Word with our pastor and Bible teacher, Dave Roth. We're developing a series on the seven churches of Revelation. And stay with us for more teaching from Pastor Dave. These programs are available by podcast at thebalancedword.com. You can also call us and request a CD copy at 949-362-7475. We'd also like to offer you Pastor Dave's Through the Bible in a Year series on a USB thumb drive for a gift of $25 or more. Go Through the Bible in a Year with Dave by ordering this special series today. Again, call 949-362-7475 or go to thebalancedword.com. Your gifts help to make these shows possible on stations like this one all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us with either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support. Donations can be made at thebalancedword.com. Have you had a chance to listen to Pastor Dave's one-minute messages? You can listen to those at thebalancedword.com and even join our mailing list so you can have them delivered to you each day. You can also watch them on Instagram or Facebook by following CC Pacific Hills. We'd love for you to join us at Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Our service times on Sunday morning are at 8, 9.45, and 11.30.
Directions and more information about the church can be found online at ccpacifichills.org. And you can watch our live stream there too, ccpacifichills.org. Can we pray for you? Just contact us through thebalancedword.com and leave a prayer request. Or again, call 949-362-7475. Now let's wrap up our time together in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for taking the time after 60 years or so after your resurrection that you came back to your church for a checkup and you told us what you still tell us that it's good to believe the right things it's good to keep the house pure but that if we lose love we lose it all you will take it away so Lord teach us this personally and I pray that for each of us we would take the risk of remembering of reflecting on our lives of looking back of seeing what we can learn of trying to have a different perspective mentally on what we've experienced and what we know and making sure that when our days as they roll along that we are giving some attention to the things that matter most We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. On we go to Smyrna, the suffering church. Next time on The Balanced Word as Dave Rolf's series on the seven churches continues right here. This program is brought to you by Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Wake up my soul. Wake up early in the day. Wake up my hands. And